Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Point Blake, episode number 46. I'm Chantel Chan, joined alongside Akeem Haynes. We just want to say thank you so much for rocking with the show. But if you haven't hit that subscribe button yet and you like the content that we're putting out, make sure to click that subscribe button, hit the like button as well. That definitely helps the channel grow. And most importantly, remember that you can find us on wherever you stream any of your podcasts. Make sure to also leave a rate and review if you have a time. We would definitely appreciate it. And you'll see in the description below the ways that you can connect with us on our own personal personal social media platforms as well. Akeem, uh, you know what? It was quite the weekend, a huge fight weekend, which by the way, we're going to get into all of those fights. But before we get into everything, how was your weekend? Uh, weekend wasn't too bad. You know, a lot of moving parts happening in my life right now. So we try and take the days as they come. You know me, I don't think about tomorrow until tomorrow is here, you know, uh, I out of the two of us, Chantel is always the forward-looking one. Now I'm the one that likes to take one day at a time. But uh, yeah, you know, not not too bad, not too bad. What about you? I also saw that you made a prediction a couple two weeks ago, off air, off air. No pressure. I see the I see the look on your face. You're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? But yeah. you did say that the Whitecaps would win uh, this year, and from what I saw, they did. Yeah, they did. Well, they're just a better team than TFC. And uh, there was a lot of drama that happened post-match. Because, oh, like, yeah, because uh, the players didn't want to shake Vanny's hands and all of that because he was celebrating. But he's just, like, a really charismatic coach. And they were Toronto was just being some haters. You know, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised that Toronto's players are just being, like, salty and bitter. Like, let the man celebrate. You know what I mean? Like it is what it is. And uh, now nah, they were just being salty, but you know what? That's enough about Toronto. Um, I think I hate on them enough on this, <laughs> on this podcast, but, but they, they were being salty that Vancouver won. Uh, no doubt about it, but you know what? Let's get into another side of footy football, American football, because the season is just weeks away. We're actually pretty close to the preseason hall of fame game coming up as well. Akeem, the biggest question coming into this season for a few guys in the league is, you know, out of all the players in the NFL, and you can go any way that you decide to, which player to you needs a big season? Yeah, first and foremost, I know NFL season is coming up, and I know a lot of people, you know, are waiting to get on the bets and doing that anytime score. You know what I'm saying? So I get that. Also, I want to say, uh, Chantel, uh, what you've been doing with FanDuel in your takes, man, doing an amazing job. Now, you know, the thing about any type of opinion and stuff is there always going to be people who don't agree and people love their football, but the work that you've been doing with FanDuel and your takes, they have been really great. And if you are listening, you definitely want to go over there and check <laughs> Thanks that for the plug. <laughs> go ahead and check that out. Now let's go to the NFL this year. Chantel, there's a lot of people on hot seats this year, not just players, but coaches as well. But since we're talking about players, I have to say, Ezekiel Elliott, for me, in my opinion, needs to have a big season, especially if the Cowboys want to do anything. The Cowboys need to do something because a lot of times they don't do anything. Right. So it, when he first came into the league, right, like I remember seeing this dual threat guy, lots of energy, lots of determination, lots of focus and was just hungry. And you could see that in the first year. I think he had over sixteen hundred yards, 15 touchdowns and he could catch the ball. He had some nice versatility you knew he had these skills and he did the same thing in 2018 2019 where he had two years of over 1300 rushing yards and then 
last year he did a well. He did okay. A thousand, a thousand rushing yards, 10 TDs. And I think we have to judge people as spectators of the sport, trying to break things down. We always want to make sure that if a player is really good, any type of go, we have to hold them to a certain level of standard. And Ezekiel Elliott is a very good running back. And I think if they are, if they want to have the type of season that they're capable of, he needs to get back to that 1,300, 1,400 rushing yards in order for that offense to really flow and to open up a little bit. And I think he is on the hot seat, Chantel. I know a lot of people may say otherwise, but I just think he needs to have production, not only um, as a as a as a rusher, but as a receiver and as a block protector as well too. He needs to be the guy to set the momentum of that offense because the running back behind him, uh, uh, Pollard, he's he's been improving. He's he fast. <laughs> so he is, but me, he's not like an he's not an every down back though. Pollard, you know, I, yeah, he's not an every uh, down back. But it's like uh, for like Zeke, it's like. Is he the same dude he was at OSU? Because I don't think he is. I don't think any of the you know college I mean? players are the same dudes, though. So I, I, I personally don't go that far back to to it for me because it, it, it's a different it's a different take, and you go from a collegiate athlete to the professional aspect of it. And I've learned a lot of collegiate athletes don't become good professional athletes because of the professionalism side of it. But I mean, he had a really good rookie year. Right. He like he, he, he balled did. out in his rookie Hunger. year, had to had Hunger. to deal with some injuries. And that's the thing, like coming in from OSU to that first year, like you could be like Zeke was that dude. You know what I mean? And the Cowboys did really well pairing him up with Zach and they would run the ball a lot. They had a good O-line. He got injured, dealt with some injuries. I don't think he's the same dude. So I think we'll get an Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott that is going to have a solid year. But I don't think we'll ever see that Ezekiel Elliott again. And that's my opinion. I'm not trying to hate on him and be like, it will never happen. But I, you know, the thing about running backs is like, they have a good, like four or five years, right? Like for like, naturally they have a good four or five years, unless you're like Adrian Peterson, when he came back from his ACL and like tore it up. But normally, generally speaking, you have a good four or five years. I think we've seen that from Zeke. And you know what? I hope he proves me wrong, but I just, it's not the same firepower that I saw from him when he came into the league that he has now. And you're absolutely right. He has to definitely prove himself like this is the year, not prove himself, but he has to have a good, a good season because if he doesn't, the Cowboys don't win the NFC East and those Philadelphia Eagles, they look like the real deal with that D line. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're going to cause some problems in that division. And so is Washington because Washington's got a good defense as well. But Philly to me, I I think it's going to go toe to toe with, with Dallas for sure. Yeah, hey, I hope Ezekiel comes through. I still believe in you, man. I still think you got it, you know, and, and I guess we'll see what happens. But Chantel, what about you? Who do you think has the most to prove this season? I got to roll with Tua Tagovailoa, of course, from your alma mater, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I say this because Tua has taken a lot of heat from coming into the league. The Dolphins decided to draft him and he just hasn't had two good seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think his career, he's had like 27 touchdowns, um, 15 interceptions. It's just not good enough though. Like for a guy that was drafted that high, um, that was poised to, you know, be that dude coming out from Bama. The thing about him though, is that Miami has now put him into a position where they've given him two crazy targets. Like you got Waddle on one side and now you got Tyreek Hill. 
And it's like, what are you going to do with it? Right. People talk about his accuracy, but the thing about it is I don't think Tua has ever been healthy since he's been in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't had a season where he's been completely healthy. And I think that's impacted his play on the field. And like you talked about the FanDuel stuff that I was doing. And I made that prediction about Miami knowing that Tua would progress. Like that's my, that's my prediction is that he will have a better year than he has in previous seasons. You know what I mean? So I think Tua has a lot to prove because if he doesn't, I think Miami's going to move on from him. Because yeah, at that point, you would have to. That's a fair assessment. But you know what, too? Like, to me, I don't think Tua should have left Alabama as early as he did. I actually thought that he should have stayed a little bit longer. So to me, I think he's still learning. Obviously, every, every, every person is learning, right? But I think he's still learning the professional game and what that looks like. To me, I, I said he left early at Alabama. People were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, man. I think yeah. his development stage is still there. But you are right. They spent a lot of money giving him the targets that he needs. So he does have a lot to prove. He's got a crazy offense. And if he can't get it done this year, then they're going to move on for him because they were also in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes at one point, right? They were trying to get Deshaun and try to trade for him. And that's what all the Dolphins fans wanted at one point, which, which by the way, let us know who you think has to kind of have a big season. Let us know in the comment section below. You can also hit us up on IG and Twitter. You'll see in the description below the ways that you can connect with us, but it's going to bring us to the next topic because Deshaun Watson, he just pretty much uh, found out how many games he would be suspended. Six games. He's getting six games after he obviously settled some of those lawsuits. I believe he settled 20 out of the 24. Um, but at one point, I believe he did interview 60 women to be a masseuse. 30 women came forward. So, Akeem, what are your thoughts on how the NFL handled his suspension? Do you agree with the six games? Yes or no? Let's go back a little bit, Chantel. And, 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 and I just need you to be a... Uh have some of these stats ready for me as I'm about to ask. Uh, the, the, the recent player who, who basically got suspended the whole season for betting on his team, the receiver for Atlanta Falcons, I think it was. Remember who that was? I forget, man. I, that was a big story, though. Okay. Him? And, but, but he wasn't even betting on, like, one of the Falcons games. He was, like, betting on the Super Bowl or something, and he still, like, he couldn't do that, which makes absolutely no sense. So he got a whole season for that. Now, Josh Gordon, he got suspended for uh, weed. How many, how many games? Like, like 25 games in, in total or something like that. I know he got banned from the a couple of times. So sports betting, which is, you know, like it's a legal thing. I get it. If you're a player, like I get that, right? Weed is legal in many different places, right? And so for him to get six games based on all of the information that came forward, I think that's crazy to me. That's just mad to me, right? Like, I don't know the full story. I can't say 100% what the situation was, but allegations like that and things of that nature, like that's six games? That's crazy. I, I, he, should, he should, I've anticipated, I'm like, okay, I see everything. I see all the angles. Okay, this is at least a year and some change. Yeah. At least a year and some change. But when I saw six games, I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's a crazy feat right there, Chantel. So I, 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 I think he should have got more. Uh, but again, it's the NFL. I can't say I'm surprised by that as well, too. 
Um, what it, what are your thoughts on it, Chantel? What, what do you think about that whole situation? Okay, so when Ben Roethlisberger got accused of whatever the hell he got accused for um, by one woman, he got six games. This was like 30 women. You know what I mean? This is like, I don't believe that a whole bunch of women got together and coerced this story about him. Like Deshaun's literally come out and said like, yeah, like I interviewed this amount of women. And it's like, it's terrible. It just shows that the NFL wants to be seen as a league that holds players accountable, but they're not holding Deshaun Watson accountable. And he settled a lot of those lawsuits, right? He settled like what, 20 out of 24 of them. Um, and there were more women that came, you know, came forward. Six games is not enough. They should, I think they should have suspended him the whole entire season because it's like, what are we saying here? Like, are are we saying that we care about women or are we not? Because the NFL has been shown in the past to not care about women. Ray Rice, of course, he, we saw the video footage of the elevator and he never played in the NFL again. When we're talking about women's safety, I know it wasn't physical, But essentially, yeah, it was physical harm. It was mental harm for these women. And they emotionally got abused as well. And you're giving this man six games. And so I hope that it doesn't stand at six games because I don't think Deshaun Watson deserves to play this season. And I'm just saying that because, like, you have that many allegations and it's like, it's a serious matter. He knows it's a serious matter. And so, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not part of the NFL, but to get only six games for that many allegations and then to settle 20 out of the 24 and you'd be like, I'm just going to miss six six games. It's like, I don't agree with it. So, um, but Hey man, I don't work for the NFL. So if the NFL, which is the biggest business in the world, right. They're like gangsters. (laughs) They control everything. and And it doesn't matter what happens. They're always going to succeed because they are the best league in the world. In my opinion, the NFL like is the best league. Do I agree with everything that they do and the punishments that they hand out? No. But like, what does this really say about them protecting women? I don't think it says they protect women at all, but point blank would love to know your thoughts. You can drop them in our comment section. You can also hit us up on Twitter and IG, and you'll see in the description below the ways that you can connect with us. Now, Akeem, a little bit of sad news uh, this weekend as well. Uh, One of the goats of the game, the Bill Russell, unfortunately passed away, but he did pass away peacefully with his wife by his side. When you think about Bill Russell, what do you think his impact has meant to not only just basketball, but the world? And, um, you know, just talk a little bit about him. Um, I have a list of people, Chantel, that, that I would love to meet and sit down with and have a conversation with and just to hear their perspective on life, the ups, the downs, the low moments, the middle moments, the high moments. And Mr. Russell was on that list of people for me. In the basketball world, he did everything that you could think of. He won championships as a player, as a coach, took time off, came back as an NBA analyst and an ambassador for the Boston Celtics, awards named after him. He's done great things. People always say, oh, some of the uh, basketball players and athletes back then, oh, their game wouldn't, wouldn't translate to, to this generation. And that's not true. If you go back and look at, go back and look at uh, Mr. Russell's stats, right? If you play NBA 2K, look at his numbers, what he did every single year and go try and do that in 2K and you'll see how hard it is for a whole season. They changed the free throw line 
because of how dominant that he was. This is a person who, you know, we would see now as the game went on where uh, big man would, instead of blocking the shot and hitting it out of bounds, he would tip it and then inbound it to somebody else for a fast break. That all starts from Mr. Russell. But his game was beautiful. But for me, I look at Mr. Russell, the man. When you talk about Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, uh, Jim Brown, Bobby Mitchell, uh, Walter Beach, Willie Davis, and so many others, when you talk about those men, you must talk about Mr. Russell. The barriers that he had to break down, what he had to endure during that time where people of color were not respected, people of color were not taken in very well, and how he was able to handle all that he handled and not let the bitterness succumb him to his life, that's something that you have to respect, and that's deep. You know, I, I, I think about two stories, Chantel, before, uh, before I give it over to you. Um, there was a report, this was, this was years back I saw this, there was a, a, a Black reporter and he asked Mr. Russell, he was like, man, how did you play for Boston all of those years back? Like, how were you able to do that? Like, they didn't like you. And in Mr. Russell grandfather fashion, he laughed and he said, I don't play for Boston. I play for the Celtics. And it's been an absolute joy being able to be a part of that team. And eventually the city of Boston will grow to love him and appreciate him. Well, I wouldn't say love, but appreciated him, right? And this other story, and, and, and perhaps this, this, this next story, uh, Chantel, symbolizes the type of man that Mr. Russell was and how he lived his life and what he stood for. Uh, when he was young, uh, when he was young, uh, him and his mom, they moved to the projects in this different area. And he was sitting on the steps one day and he was sitting on the steps and like five kids was running by. And one of the kids came back and like slapped him for no reason. And he was like, wait a minute, what, what is that about? And his mom came out of the house and he said, uh, and she said, you are going to fight all of these kids one at a time. And he's like, what? He's like, you're going to fight every single one of these kids one at a time. And he, he this is a, a, a flashback, right? He's sitting on the couch and he starts laughing and he said, you know, during that time, I probably won two and I lost three. But his mom said, the most important thing is not whether you won or lost, but the willingness to fight for yourself. And I think that's what Mr. Russell has done his entire career. And that's what he represents. So I send my condolences to the Russell family, uh, a great player, but an even greater man, Chantel. And, and, and uh, I hope I can still meet him one day when my time is up here. That's a conversation that I still would love to have. Uh, what about you, Chantel? When 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 you think of uh, Mr. Bill Russell, what what does it make you think of? Well, those are two really good stories that um, I saw online that I read as well. And I was like, man, you know, we know what Bill Russell accomplished as a player. Like you could easily argue that he is the greatest of all time and you could easily argue that he's the best winner of all time. Eleven NBA championships, five yeah. MVPs named to four, all four of the NBA anniversary team. Some guys are like, I didn't even make that one, but he was named to all four, uh, 12 time all star. And he won two NBA championships as a coach. Like he did everything in the league that you could do. And most importantly, if it wasn't for Bill Russell, like we wouldn't have a LeBron James. We would have never had a Kobe. We would have never had a Michael Jordan. Like he paved the way for so many of the great athletes that we love. And you talked about it, like how so many people are like, 
well, he wouldn't be able to play in this era. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life because this is the softest era in NBA history. My grandma could play in this era. You know what I mean? Like he would be like just beast and dudes in this era. So, and also it's like, they always talk about his competition. Well, you can only play who you play against. 100%. So I, I don't think you can ever knock what he ever accomplished because of the era he played in. And I, I hate the era conversations, to be honest. Um, but most importantly, like to me, when I think about all the athletes that, you know, I loved growing up, like an Allen Iverson, um, a Kobe Bryant, like a Rasheed Wallace, like those were some of the guys that I really loved as a kid. Um, a Grant Hill, like all those guys are, you know, directly from a branch of like off the tree of Bill Russell. And we wouldn't have any of these athletes if it wasn't for him. And like guys like him and like Muhammad Ali, like they're, you know, they're held in a high regard for a reason. And, and we talk about the civil rights work that he did, right? There's two really impactful ones that he was a part of. Like, I think it was in 1961. Wait, before we get to that story, uh, before we get before we get to that story, um, we saw what happened um, when George Floyd um, got murdered. Uh, we saw what the NBA did during the time in 2020 when there was a lockout and LeBron James and them were like, we're not going to play. Right. Um, that is actually something that Bill Russell did during a time in the 60s where, as you talked about, right, people of color were treated really poorly, especially African-Americans in the United States. Right. There was still a time at this time, like there was still segregation in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. So in 1961, he he led a protest with him and other several African-Americans that were on the Celtics and they refused to play. And that's because they were down in I think it may have been Kentucky and they were at a coffee shop and they had refused service to the Boston Celtics, African-American players. And so Bill Russell, like being the G that he is, was like, yo, we're not playing today. And if that happens again, we're not going to play. And so he was like the leader of that. And like, that is monumental, right? That means a lot. And that's what I talk about. Like he is this tree and all the players that we like are the branches, because if it wasn't for him, you know, for him to speak up at that time, like imagine how ridiculed he was in Boston at that time, because like, you know, we know how Boston is like, we don't have to say it, but it's not the most welcoming place still to this day. Um, and then also he was at the civil rights movement um, in the March in 1963. We, we all know the Martin Luther King speech. I have a dream. He was there and he was a superstar during the Jim Crow era. Right. And we know how what type of era that was. So for him to be a superstar in the NBA during that time and then to lead the protest in 1961 shows you what type of man he was. And that's just a little bit like that's just a tiny bit. We don't know what he went through on the daily basis. He's talked about it, but for for him to be that big of a star, to win that many championships and, you know, to really care about his community. Mm -hmm. Like you can't say enough about Bill Russell and greatest winner of all time. Like people need to stop leaving him off Mount Rushmore just because uh, of, uh, of the era that he played in. But, um, you know, I think his legacy will live on forever. And, um, you know, it's um, yeah. So condolences to his family, but I think his legacy and everything that he did on this earth is so impactful and it will live on forever. And I think when we think about the name Bill Russell, 
like generations will hear it for a long time. And that's how you know how big his impact was on this earth. But Point Blank would love to know your thoughts on Bill Russell. Do you have a favorite Bill Russell moment? Is it when he, you know, gave the finger to Charles Barkley? <laughs> uh, let us know in the comments section below. You'll also see uh, in the description the ways that you can connect with us personally as well. We're going to move over from the hardwood to the boxing ring. Of course, it was a big weekend fight weekend. We kind of did a little bit of the prediction. Well, we did do the prediction of Danny Garcia, his first fight at 154 pounds against Jose Benavidez. Danny Garcia won his debut at 154. Akeem, what were your thoughts on his victory? Yeah, I thought it was a good win. You know, I thought it was a very convincing win. I don't know what the heck that 114-114 judge was seeing, but that's just, you know, that's just boxing, right? Unfortunately. But I thought he looked good. Um, I think one of the things that we talked about was would the power uh, translate over in this new division? And it's there, but it's not like how he was at 140, right? It, it, the pop and, 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 and the power that he had, like it's still there, but it's not enough to say, oh, he's got that one hit or quitter type of shot. But what he can do it, and at this uh, division, what he can do is box. And that's what we saw this weekend. Now I thought he opened up after the third round and we started to see, okay, some of that rust was off. And then he started to get back to his old self. And I thought he moved around the ring very well. He did a lot of jabs. I have never seen him jab that much, but he hid behind the jab, went to the body. I thought it was a very good fight. Um, but what I did notice inside of that ring Chantel was, man, after all he's been through, I don't know the full extent of it, Right. All the mental battles that he was facing, but it looked like he was having fun inside that ring. Like he looked like he wanted to be there. He was taunting a little bit as well, too. I mean, they both were, but it looked like he wanted to be in the ring and he looked like he was enjoying it all over again. And I think that was what I wanted to see from Danny Garcia. I, I, I wasn't expecting a knockout. I mean, obviously, any shot can take somebody out, but I wasn't expecting it because yeah. Jose Benavidez is a tough fighter, right? But I thought he came into this one and stuck to his game plan, didn't overextend himself and try to do and try to to put himself in harm's way to get the knockout where he was the one that could possibly get knocked out. But I was very, um, I enjoyed the performance from what I saw. I yeah. believe that he'll continue to get better. But I thought coming back from all the time he took off in a new division, I thought he did very well. I know a lot of people are tough on his performance, but man, I, I think we also got to give him a little bit of grace. I thought Donnie who you, Garcia. Who do you want to see him fight next? Um, I actually, I actually would like to see him fight Keith Thurman. I think he's spot on there. I'd like to see that one. Uh, I don't think he beats Brian Castaño. I don't think he beats Charlo. I don't think he beats Harrison. I don't think Ooh. he beats those guys yet. Did he beat Lubin? Uh, coming off a loss. Yeah, I think so. Coming off a loss. I think so. Uh, but I would like to mm, loop in. It's a nice little di that's nice addition, but I would like to see him uh, with Thurman. I think that would be a good one at 154. But I also think Lubin will be a good as well, too. But I don't think he beats Castaño, Charlo Harrison. I don't think he beats those guys just yet. I think he needs a little bit more uh, for me, in my opinion. What about you at, at 154? What was your thoughts on Danny Garcia? I thought he dominated the performance. I think there was like only one round I may have given Jose Benavidez. Like I think it was like that ninth round. We saw him kind of get to work and um, you kind of saw Danny's father, Angel, be like, Danny, don't don't give this one away <laughs> right in the corner. Um, I thought it was a great performance by uh, Danny Garcia. This is the Danny Garcia that I was waiting to see. And when he fought Spence, 
the whole time I was like, man, you know, Spence is just like, it's crazy. Cause like, I've never seen Danny Garcia ever that touched up before. And I was like, man, Spence is so good. But now we kind of look back and I'm not saying that's why Spence touched him up so much, but he was going through so much stuff mentally. Um, in this fight, I love the taunting. I loved it when he stuck out his tongue and like, <laughs> like I was like, do it again, Danny, because like, you know, I felt bad for Jose Benavidez. Cause it's like, I think he's like at this point, like what's next for him. Right. Like you just, you just lost to Danny Garcia, but Danny was moving around the ring really well. He's re- very technical. He's very skilled. He said he was going to work the jab more and he did. Um, his defense looked really, really good. And he was throwing combos like Danny's speed. Like he was showing off his speed and he was talking about how he wanted to show off his speed in this fight. And I think he did that throwing those nasty combos and landing. So I really appreciated the fact that he came out and gave his fans what we wanted to see. Like that's the Danny Garcia that his fans are used to seeing. And, you know, at 154, we talk about who he's in a fight. Listen, I want to see that Keith Thurman fight again, too, because I thought that first one was close (laughs) and I thought it could have gone either way. And some people thought that Danny got robbed in that fight. Mm. I'm kind of thought Danny got robbed in that fight. Um, I thought the judges favored Keith Thurman in that fight. Can't tell one time that. (laughs) No, you can't. He was on Twitter with the Twitter fingers like, Danny, let's run it back. Let's run it back. I would love to see it just because it's the rematch that we would want to see. It's at 154. However, I think Keith Thurman has the power at 154. Like when I look at Keith Thurman, I just look at his build and then I look at Danny. Like I know Danny's got that vicious left hook, but like I like we know Keith Thurman one time. They don't call him one time for no reason. He's throwing everything one time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it's like I, I see Keith Thurman's power translating and it's like, you know, we're waiting on what Keith Thurman is going to do next because if Bud and Spence don't get made, what I'm hearing is Spence and Keith Thurman might get made. Like there's reports there, there's reports that Spence and Keith Thurman is possibly in the talks and Bud and Spence don't get made because there's a holdup on that now. And like, it's, it's, it's classic boxing, right? Like we're going to get it when we got Pacquiao Mayweather, we're just going to get it like later on, but it doesn't matter. And Bud's older. So, uh, you know, I'm not happy about that. I hope, I hope, I hope it's not time to pick sides yet. (laughs) I'm already picking sides, man. I, you know, what side I'm on when it comes to Bud and Spence, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy for Danny Garcia. And after seeing his post-fight interview, like, how do you hate that guy? I don't, I don't know who dislikes Danny Garcia. If you hate Danny Garcia after that, something's wrong with you. Like who hurt you? Um, so that's what I thought. I would love to see him fight Keith Thurman. Cause I, I want the rematch to be quite honest with you. And, um, I think he has a chance against Castaño. I think he, like, I know Castaño is, Castaño, listen, man, Castaño fought his butt off against Charlo twice. You know what I mean? And he's got power. He's relentless. He's the type of boxer I like, um, you know, come forward fighter, never gives up, takes mad shots. But I think Danny Garcia is so skilled. Like, I didn't see that power in that fight against Jose Benavidez, who is like a larger man than him. But I thought he boxed really well. Like, he boxed his butt off. So if Danny Garcia can do that, there is a chance that, and he keeps throwing, he lets his hands go. I think he could beat Castaño. Um, I don't know, man, the 154 weight division is crazy. I don't know if he beats Charlo. Cause I think a lot of people sleep on Charlo. Um, yeah, beat Charlo. yeah. Like to me, it's just like that was, this was a good first fight at 154. Right. But yeah. when you, to me, when you look at Charlo and Castano and some of these other guys, they've been there at 154. Right. Yeah, they, so. they, they've, they've been there, but some of them also don't have the same pedigree as Danny has. 
right? You talk about him yeah, being but- a, a two division champion. You talk about like the guys, like his his actual resume is solid. And like, he does have the L against Sean Porter. That was a really close one though, as well. And he does have the L against Keith, Keith Thurman, but at the same time, his pedigree is good. So I, no I wouldn't, I would, yeah, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Charlo just walks right through him because oh, I no. thought Charlo, I'm not you know saying what I mean? that. I'm not saying I, I, that because I thought Charlo, I thought Charlo would, you know, be Castaño. And I was surprised after that first fight. Um, and he didn't work against him. So it's like, I, I'm not counting Danny, Danny out, but yeah, Charlo's undisputed for a reason. And he should be on every pound for pound list. Like, I don't know how he's left off. He must've pissed off somebody, but he rarely makes pound for pound list. So, um, that's who I want to see Danny Garcia fight. Keith Thurman. I wouldn't mind him fighting Castaño. I think he has to have another fight at 154, like a true 154 contender, maybe a Lubin. um, where he does fight, but that that's a fight I want to see. I like him at 154. Let's see what he does because he essentially technically didn't really become king of 147 before he moved up to 154, right? Like he fought the best. He didn't fight Bud though. So it's it's a little bit interesting to see what happens. But point blank would love to know, know who you think Danny Garcia should fight next, what you thought about his performance, and can he continue to win in that division? That is the biggest question. So drop some comments in our YouTube section. You can also hit us up on Twitter and IG and you'll see in the description below the ways that you can connect with us. But Chantel, now we got to go over to another boxing match that's happening this weekend. A fight that was rescheduled once before, but now we get to see these two inside the ring. I'm talking about Virgil Ortiz Jr. versus Michael McKinson. What are your thoughts on this fight? Chantel, how do you have it going? We already broke this down before. I think it was episode 24. I'm just joking, but they can totally go back. <laughs> they can totally go back to that because what I'm going to probably say is the same, but uh, Virgil Ortiz, man, 18 and 0. He's knocked out everyone that he's fought. He's undefeated and he's in a welterweight division where he's starting to make a lot of noise. You know what I mean? Like he is a guy that's looked upon right now that could possibly be next up once Bud and Spence obviously move on from that division. He's got ridiculous power. He's got that put you to sleep or tuck you in for a nap power. That's how tough Virgil Ortiz throws. And the one thing that I think people really forget about him is how well he works the jab. His jab is phenomenal. And the whole time he's just going to be jabbing you up. He's a great body puncher. He throws everything to the body with absolute power. And it's devastating. Like he's got that devastating power. He also has a really good head movement. He, if you want to bang on the inside, he's going to bang on the inside with you. Like he's not afraid to also be the one coming up and, you know, trying to attack you as well. Like he is very aggressive in that sense. Um, so he's that come forward type of boxer and he's tough as hell. He knows how to cut off the ring. His two biggest wins were Maurice Hooker and Cavaloxis, right? Um, And against that Cavaloxis fight, he was actually able to land on Virgil Ortiz. Like, I I think it was like a few times he landed the uppercut on Virgil and he caught him a few times actually in that fight. So I'm not saying that Virgil Ortiz is untouchable just because he has a whole bunch of power. Like he's been caught before. And in that fight, actually, he kind of looked a little bit stunned at one point. Um, I remember he threw a punch and kind of missed and he looked a little bit wobbly and they called it. They said that it was like a slip, <laughs> but I, I honestly think Avaloskis actually like stunned him a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know for sure. Like I'm just looking as like a boxing fan sitting on the couch eating potato chips. You know what I mean? But I was like, Oh my God, he stunned Virgil Ortiz, man. Mm-hmm. But he was able to rebound from that. 
And so he showed that like, you know, yeah, he's got power, like Mean Machine's got power. He, you know what I'm saying? So um, that was a little bit interesting. But to me, when I take a look at this fight, Virgil Ortiz, he's fighting a guy, McKinson, who's also undefeated. He's 22 and 0, two of those wins by knockout. So obviously when you look at the fact that he lacks power, but I do believe he's fought a few guys where he's like knocked them down in the first round. Um, but his last knockout was back all the way in 2017. He's a really good counterpuncher, quick on his feet. He's got decent speed. He controls the distance really well. Like he's a boxer's boxer mm-hmm. and he's taken on a power puncher. So like, those are obviously some of the matchups in boxing that we love to see a power puncher versus a boxer boxer, but he's like a European type of boxer right he, he's a european <laughs> boxer but he's yeah. a european level boxer you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying so um he leaves his chin exposed a lot like i said this in the last time that we previewed this mckinson just like doesn't tuck in his chin against a guy like virtual ortiz you want to tuck in your chin or mckinson you're going to be put to sleep man you're going to be like put in a timeout um but honestly i think he's pretty decent defensively um he likes to fight on his back foot a lot And that's what I think he's going to try to do against a guy like Virgil Ortiz that is like a come forward boxer. So McKinson's going to fight on his back foot a lot. And then what he tries to do is he tries to land the perfect shot and get his timing right. And that's what he's going to want to do. He is undefeated. He hasn't had like a lot of knockouts, two knockouts. Uh, So as I talked about, like he lacks that power, but every fight that he's won since like 2017, which I think was like his last knockout, he's won by unanimous decision and he's like dominated. Like, this isn't, like, a close card. Like, we saw, like, you know, against Danny Garcia and uh, Jose Benavidez, which was crazy because the cards were all over the place. But um, he's, like, winning by a landslide. Like, he's shutting out dudes, European-level dudes. But he's shutting out dudes. So I think that's good for the confidence. Um, who do I think is going to win this fight? I think Virgil Ortiz is going to win this fight. I think he's going to do it in fashion. And I think he's going to win by knockout in the sixth or seventh round. Um, just because McKinson leaves his chin untucked. And yeah. you can't do that against a guy like Virgil Ortiz. I think he's going to have some big moments in the fight, though. I think he is going to be able to land on Ortiz. And I want to see if Ortiz got a little bit better defensively as well. I'm not saying that he's poor defensively, but I, I would love to see some more improvement on him on the defensive side. But most importantly, like Virgil Ortiz, after this bout, he's going to be 19-0. And he's going to have 19 <laughs> knockouts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he is that good, and we're going to be talking about him a little bit more. What about you, Akeem? What are your thoughts on this fight? Who do you have winning and how? Yeah, I mean, you go back to Virgil Ortiz, right? He's one of those young talents who you like to see him fight because of the excitement around him. Uh, you talked about his fight against the mean machine, Kevalaskis. He did get hurt in that first round. And this is the thing when you have a high guard, right, is because you can't always see some of the shots that's coming from beneath you. So the uppercuts, that's where you get touched up at. And But what these fights show you, I mean, you need to see what a fighter, how they respond to adversity when the plan doesn't go according to how you expected it to. And when he faced a little bit of adversity in that first round against a quality fighter like Kev Velasquez, are they going to panic? Are they going to fold? Or are they going to find a way to get back into the fight? And what he did was a veteran's move. If you're in trouble, either move out the way or tie up your man so you can catch yourself. And that's exactly what he did. And he came on strong. He broke Kavalaskis down every single round. He knocked him down four or five times. And every time that Kevalaskis was getting up, you could see he was just like, what in the world just happened again? That's, that's frustration. 
especially in a fight. Now you're fighting emotionally, right? And you don't want that. So he is a guy who is going to break you down. He's going to go to the body. He's got like a jab. Then he's got like a straight hand jab where it is not a, it's more of a push through more than a flick. It's not something that's going to snap back. He just pushes it through and sets it up for, for Ortiz. He's still young and he's still learning. What I don't like in this fight for him is if he fights emotionally and gets frustrated, right? Because yes, you know, he has power, you know, he can bang, but his defensive uh, flow is not where it should be right now in his career. He's defensively sound, but he's not like a Floyd. He's not like a Shakur. He does get touched up quite a bit. He got touched up in Maurice Hooker's fight as well, too. So, uh, he, but he is sound enough to get out of trouble. Good footwork, good movement. He's a, just a very good fighter and a very excellent young fighter. And I think he is going to put on quite the performance. I mean, he 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 wants to because I saw some stuff on the internet. People were saying, you know, he's ducking. I'm like, bro, he's not ducking. It's is it was a serious serious medical uh, situation. Now, Michael McKinnison keeps saying, I'm going to be Virgil Ortiz's toughest test. And I just, I, you have to believe in yourself. And I, I like that. But, you know, it, 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 I don't think he's fought anybody like me, Machine, before. He's never fought anyone like Maurice Hooker. I think his best win, if I had to say, was probably Alex Martin or Chris Congo. And you mentioned, Chantel, when you look at his stats, just on paper, you're thinking to yourself, how is this guy going to generate enough power to get? Ortiz off of him or to get his respect. And yeah, you know, that's extremely fair. You can say all those things. Nothing is wrong with that. But you also said something that I think is needed to be touched on. He's won most of his fights by unanimous decision. He is a boxer and this man isn't coming in without any skill or any talent behind him. He won 22 fights, right? He won 22 convincing fights. And I think that's something to keep in mind. However, if McKinson is going to win this fight, Chantel, he's going to have to fight a dang near perfect fight. He cannot let the pressure get to him. He cannot let Virgil Ortiz come forward style get to him. He's going to have to counter soundly. He's going to have to be efficient and precise with his attacks. He's going to have to slip in and slip out. He's going to have to consistently move around the ring, get the awareness of where the ring is. His ring generalship has to be at a high IQ level, right? Because once Virgil Ortiz gets a taste or a sense that you're a little bit wobbled or you're feeling a little bit down, then you know the shots are coming from each and every single angle. And the look on his face when he sees his opponent's hurt, that's a scary thing. And you know what he can do once, 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 those, once those leather connect to the chin, you go and lice out. So he needs to come in confident, not back down, but also fight a very good fight. But I just don't think he is going to be able to withstand the pressure and the pursuit and the onslaught of punches and combinations about coming his way by Virgil Ortiz. So I have him winning by knockout as well, too. I think it'll be a little bit different for Ortiz at the beginning. I think uh, McKinson, his style is a little bit tricky and he is a good fighter. And I do think he'll hang in there in the early rounds, but I think towards the middle rounds, I think the pressure will start to become too much. And I could see him closing out the show uh, basically the same round that you said, maybe even later, but point blank would love to know your thoughts on this fight. Who do you have winning this one? Let us know in the comment section below. Jake Paul, Assam Rahim. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think sometimes, Chantel, I think sometimes people, you know, people coming into the sport or watching certain things, they say, you know what, I can do that too, 
right? And yeah, Jake Paul has had some, you know, some good wins, whatever the case may be. He does have a nice right hand, but I think it's tough as someone who is trying to be a fighter and then trying to promote the fight and be everything all behind the fight and how it goes. And I think that is where he struggled most in this one. But this was supposed to happen this Saturday, but now this fight is canceled. What are your thoughts on all of that, Chantel? I think it's a whole bunch of hocus pocus, man. That's what I think. I think this fight was actually never going to get made. And because when you think about it, like it's supposed to be this Saturday, like when has a fight, Kim, we've been watching boxing like all of our lives, right? Since we've been kids. When has a fight ever been stopped a week, a week before when you don't make weight? Like how many boxers haven't made weight? Tank Davis never made weight, still fought. How many times have we not seen boxers make weight and they still, <laughs> they, you know what I mean? They get fined, but they still fight. So why is it when Jake Paul is saying, yo, I'm a boxer, nobody, everyone's ducking me, fighting a real boxer like Rockman, right? Which by the way, they wanted him to get down to 200 pounds. I think he was like at 230. Now here, here's, here's what I'm saying. Okay, so if Haseem Rockman signed the contract and it said he had to lose this amount of weight in this amount of time, he should honor that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yo, you signed the deal. Like, honor that. Be professional. But at the same time, like, you're telling him to do a nasty weight cut in, like, 30-something days. Like, I don't know how much, right? And he's saying, like, meet me halfway. Like, for example, like, this is why I liked Ryan Garcia's tweet the other day. Because Ryan Garcia... And um, Javier Fortuna were supposed to fight at 135 pounds. That's what they agreed on. Javier Fortuna couldn't cut the weight. So Ryan Garcia was like, it's okay, we'll fight at 140 because I don't want to cancel this fight, right? Or like I, like, I want this fight to happen. So they fought. And so Ryan Garcia was like, yo, I met him halfway because like we wanted the fight to happen. Um, and as you know, as a boxing fan, when a boxer doesn't make weight, they pay a fine. Right. If, but the fight still happens in UFC when a boxer doesn't make weight, like we just saw this recently with Charles Oliveira. Did we not? Was it Charles Oliveira that we saw it with? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He came in overweight and they took his belt away. They still fought. Still won. Like, like what, what are we saying here? Like, don't hop on Twitter and be like, oh man, he, he was unprofessional. Like, yeah, maybe he was, but this fight was never going to happen. And you look at like MSG, there's mad tickets. So how much did this have to do with ticket sales? Mm. Right? Because it costs a lot of money to put on the fight, but then you're not selling tickets. I feel bad for Amanda Serrano. I feel bad for Brandon Lee, who I'm a big fan of, by the way. Um, but I feel bad for them because there was real boxers on this card. My my boy Brian like sent out, like tweeted out a list and he was like, these are the boxers that aren't going to fight because of this Jake Paul ramen fight, right? Like he's not going to fight. And they're real boxers that we're that we're gonna have some real fights. So I don't think this fight was ever gonna happen. I think this because he was already talking about Conor McGregor in KSI before the fight even happened. He was already promoting other fights, and this fight didn't happen. So that tells me that this fight was never gonna happen. And this also tells me like I'm so I'm so tired of Jake Paul at this point. Like I know he has like a right hand, um, and like he can be somewhat entertaining where I'll, where I'll watch a fight. Like I watched all of his fights so far. He's not fighting any real boxers. And when he did, the fight got called off. And that doesn't happen in boxing if you miss weight. What about you, Akeem? What are your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say. You know me. The last time we spoke about this, I kept it very uh, sweet and short, and I'm going to do the same here. You know, this was one of those situations where both both men are at fault a little bit because if this was the contract that you're supposed to come into and you didn't abide by that, okay, well, you got to take some of that blame as well too. But this was still a business move for Jake Paul. You want the man to deplete himself come in with his with his cheekbones sinking in and his mouth feel like cotton mouth can't even talk right you want him so depleted and so low energy that when he steps inside the ring that you can take advantage of someone who has depleted himself right i think one of the things that he said i didn't watch the full video but i saw the clip where he said man he said boxers lose uh boxers lose 15 pounds in a span of a week and I'm like, yeah, but boxers also gain 15 pounds in a span of a week as well. So we can go both ways. And if you really wanted to make the fight happen, okay, 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 uh, okay, uh, uh, Haseem, like, okay, man, I see you can't get down to 200. What about 210? Can you get there? I'll get up to 210. Can you get there? If you really want to make it happen, you'll find a way to make it happen. And so, you know, when I think about Jake Paul, man, man, just go back to fighting the ways you've been winning, right? Like, go back and do that. You know what I'm saying? But you can't say, oh, people don't respect my skills if you are not going to get into a position where you do fight an actual boxer like him. And I thought, I think this, I thought this fight would have went bad for him. I think he yeah, cares facts. too much. I, I think he cares too much about this undefeated record, right? It's like, bro, even if you lost, you still won because people are going to be like, he went in there with an actual boxer and was able to hold his own. So I think he went backwards in this one. And I, it sucks for everybody that is on the card because now these are people who are not going to get a payday and they're not going to make their money, right? You know, boxers only fight two, sometimes one to three times a year. And every opportunity is an opportunity for them to make some income, take care of themselves, take care of their families and whatever they have to do. And so I feel bad for them more than I feel uh, for, you know, for, for, for Jake Paul. You know, so that's what I think about it. Point blank would love to know your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the situation? Um, yeah, let us know in the comments. Yo, section. you went long too, though. Like, I was like, oh, Akeem's got a lot to say. But usually, when, like, when we have meetings and we're like, hey, we're like, you know, I'll bring up Jake Paul, we should talk about this. And one time I was like, because everyone's talking about it. So we should talk about it too. And Akeem's like, just because everyone talks about it doesn't mean that we should talk about <laughs> not having it i'm like no we, we should it's boxing and he ended up doing it with it you had you had an opinion this time so this is good see uh jake paul's got akeem haynes talking and akeem's with no games i'm just learning from my co-host to be a better analyst so you've taught <laughs> me that i gotta just talk on any any situation at got any to. time um but before we close out chantel you know it this we're talking about a uh, uh, confrontational and when you should be. And it really just brings me back to Bill Russell in his life of when the times where he had to stand up for himself, man. I, I, you go back years before with Jackie Robinson, right? You go back before in other different ways. And these men had to, men and women had to stand up for themselves, right? And, and confrontational. Nobody wants to be confrontational, but there are times when you have to be. How, how should one go about that in your perspective? When should someone be confrontational? I think you should be confrontational if, honestly, if it bothers you. Like, you should be confrontational if you need to get it off your chest, if it's for a good reason. If this is some reason, for example, like, let's just say that 
somebody's playing with your money, <laughs> right? Say somebody's playing with your money, man. And like someone that, you know, I've had to like send out, you know, invoices and stuff before. If I'm not getting paid on time, I'm going to confront you. I'm going to want my money because I did a service and you better pay me. That's when you should be like that to me is like, it also has to do with morals. You know, sometimes people that you deal with don't have the same morals as you. And sometimes you need to speak up on that. And for me, like sometimes it's extremely hard for me to be confrontational, even though it might seem like I might be confrontational or it might be easy for me to be confrontational. I don't like confrontation at all. I try to avoid it at all costs. But when it's time to do the confronting, (laughs) I, I will step up to the plate, especially if it has to do with something where it's like money, which is like livelihood, um, or something, you know, if something bothering me and I, it's really on my chest, which I think a lot of people, I know sometimes I've held on to things where I've been like, man, I I really want to say something to this person. Um, and if I get that opportunity, then I say it, I think it just depends on the situation. And there's also ways where it doesn't have to be so aggressive. Like right now I'm talking all aggressive, but (laughs) you can be confrontational in a very calm manner and express your feelings in a way where you're just getting your point across. And, you know, it comes off as you're being a little bit nice about it at the same time, not nice, but you're being stern, but like getting your point across where you're like, you know what, this, this, and this. So I think confrontation is one of those things where, I mean, it's, it's honestly like personal preference. Like, when do you want to be confrontational? You can't fight every battle. Um, that's one thing I learned. Like, you can't fight everything, every little thing. I think you have to be a little bit choosy. Um, and that makes it when you are confrontational, people will take you a little bit more seriously as well. <laughs> what about you, Akeem? When should you be confrontational? Yeah, you know, I go back to that thing that you were just saying, you know, you can't throw a stone at every dog that barks because, you know, two things happen. Your arm will get tired or you'll run out of stones, right? And I think with confrontation, I live by this simple rule and I've always tried to live my life like this. Do right by people. It's like, to me, like it's that simple, right? Like if you say you're going to do something, then, then do it. If you're going to be at this, then be, try to be 98% of everything that you say, because 2%, sometimes life happens and you're not able to do uh, to abide by it, man. But man, if people aren't doing right by you, then you have all right to respond accordingly especially if you live your life with morals, values, right? So that's how I think about it, man. There are times when you have to speak up for yourself because people will treat you any type of way. People will treat you the way how they think that you should be treated until you tell them, look, you're not going to talk to me like that. You're not going to do me like that. That's not how I operate. That's not how I do it, right? If people have the opportunity to impose their will on you, they will until you stop and shut that door. So it's definitely one of those situations where you will know when you have to be and you will know when to let some things go. And you will know when something is sitting with you so long that you continue to suppress it before it explodes. Right. So you just have to be a good uh, judgment of when that timing is. You know, it's it's uh, uh, if something is bothering you for quite some time, if someone if you feel disrespected, look, we saw what happened in the in uh, in the malice in the palace. Back back when my man Ron Artest was just sitting, going into a Zen place and somebody threw a drink on him. Right. He had to confront the situation. Right. And I and that's just on a more dramatic scale, but on a smaller scale. Don't allow people to walk over you, because as much as I love people, if someone has the opportunity to get over on you, 
they will. So judge accordingly and make sure that you know when the right time is. You'll be able to feel it. And every person has a breaking point. So that's what I think when I think about confrontational situations. Uh, I just want to say as well, too, uh, Chantel and I do not condone violence. We do not condone fighting. Uh, Only sanctioned violence. Only sanctioned violence. Wait, what is the sanctioned violence? That's like boxing in UFC because it's sanctioned. It's allowed. Oh, okay. (laughs) That that flew over my head. I was like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Yeah, only sanctioned violence. (laughs) Legal, legal things on point blank. But maybe you have an opportunity where you've been confrontational and you have some tips that you would like to share with our audience. That would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And we would definitely put that in the uh, description below as well, too. But this is another episode that's done. We want to thank each of you for continuing to tune into the show. We are almost at 300 subscribers, which is, you know, us coming up on our year mark. In when did we start the show again? September? I want to say like September 20th-ish. Look, it's, it's almost there, right? So, uh, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I just hit me right now. I was like, that's nuts. <laughs> a whole year. I know. So, if you are enjoying the show, definitely like, comment, share, subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with your brother, your uncle, your aunt, your grandmother, your grandfather. Just share it with someone who you think would get value from it. And of course, I am Akeem Haynes. I'm Chantel Chan. And this is Point Blank. And we'll definitely see you next week.